Parshas Balak, a nation apart. The story of Bilam and his prophecy about the Am Yisrael is an episode unlike anything else in the entire Torah. All of a sudden, a Gentile comes into the picture and he's speaking words that take up a big space in the Chumash. And his words are all Torah. It was Shechina midaberes mitoch grono shel Bilam. The words spoken by Bilam are the words of Hashem. Now, to understand how important were Bilam's words, we should remember what the Gemara in Bracha says. Bikshu likvoa parshas bolok. Bekriyas Shema. Our sages wanted to make it obligatory to read the words that Bilam said every day at the time of Kriyas Shema. Just like we say every day, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. They wanted to include the Parsha of Bilam. Why didn't they do it? Only because Tirchad Sibura. It would be too burdensome on the people to recite so much. It takes too much time. You have to go home to eat breakfast and catch the train to go to work. That's the only reason the sages didn't make it obligatory. Otherwise, we would be saying a good portion of this week's Parsha every day by Shacharis. Now, if it's so important that it deserves to be said every day, we should put our minds to this subject of the Gentile prophet who came into the Torah and opened his mouth to speak at length about the greatness of the Am Yisroel. Now, what's the first thing that Bilam said? He opened his mouth and out came the words of Hashem. Hein am lebadad yishkon. Behold, a people that dwells alone. Ubagoyim lo yitchoshav. And they're not counted among the nations. He's saying two things here. Behold, they are a people who must dwell alone. It means that as much as possible, we have no connection with the nations of the world. We quarantine ourselves from all the nations, physically and intellectually. And we dwell alone in this world. And why is that? Because uvagoyim, lo yizchoshev, were not counted among the nations. That's the second point. If you're walking with your friend in a field and there's grass growing, do you say, I'm here with Chaim and also the grass? No, grass is grass. That's what lo yizchoshev means. When you walk among the goyim on the street, you're walking on 5th Avenue at 5 p.m. when all the office buildings are emptying out. There are thousands of people walking on the street. You're the only one that's walking there. All the rest are kechatsir hasadeh, like grass growing in the fields. Yeshaya. Now, if you are a real American and you are saturated with ideas of democracy and equality and pluralism, so you think, well, we have to recognize that all human beings are equally important. Certainly, we're a good nation, but you cannot downplay the other people. It's selfish and chauvinistic. If that's your reaction, it means you don't begin to know the ABCs of Judaism. Of course, Goyim shouldn't hear this. Ethnocentricity. That's what they'll call it. What can we do, however? We can't go against the Torah, of course. We're not going to take out ads and publicize it in the Gentile newspapers. But it's in the Bible anyhow. It's in the Chumash. And it's there because HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants us to know this always. The same way you know Shema Yisroel, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. We also know Uvagoyim Lo Yizchoshov. 
it were not counted among the nations. Now I know it's not easy because you might think that outside other people look like you. In Bensonhurst, people look like you. In Germany, people look like you. But don't make any mistake. You have to look with Torah eyes and not be fooled by superficialities. You know, if you go to the zoo, you'll see behind the glass in the monkey cages, they look something like you too. The gorilla can sit there on his rock and he's looking at you. An interesting little face, almost like a human face. Don't make any mistake. A monkey is not a human being. There's a universe of difference between them. And so, just as there is a great difference between a monkey and a man, although they look alike, so between all the nations of the world and Am Yisrael, there's a world of difference. And I don't care how much people will try to negate this. They are accustomed to modern ideology, but we're talking Torah now. And in Torah, the comparison between Am Yisrael and the Umasa'olam is not less than the comparison between a Gentile and the monkey behind the bars. The Gentile is a world apart from the monkey, but the Jew is a world apart from him. That's what it means. The truth is that what we're saying here, you say it yourself every week. The one who separates between light and darkness. He also separates between Yisrael and the nations. It means the difference is like night. And day. Now pay attention to the parallelism. Light daytime is one thing. Nighttime is something else. You can't compare them. They're polar opposites. Daytime, the sun is shining. You can see everything. Nighttime is dark. It's black. Yisrael and the Amim are just as far apart as nighttime and daytime. An Italian, let's say, He's a decent Italian, not a criminal like our governor, but even a good moral Italian. You have to know that he looks like you. But really, there's a very great difference between an Italian and Lahavdi Jew. A tremendous difference. A world of difference. Now, in order to oppress upon us this fundamental teaching of Havdalah, HaKadosh Baruch Hu implanted into his Bria this principle. It's an overwhelming fact of creation, a thread that runs through everything. When we learn Chumash in the very first chapter of Bereshis, we are confronted immediately with a spectacular phenomenon. Eitz pri oise pri lemino. Trees that produce according to its kind. We're in a hurry. It was just Simcha's Torah. And we didn't even have time to look over the Sedra properly. And the Baal Koyre is rushing through the Sedra quickly. It's a pity we missed that part. Lemino! Again and again, that word is repeated ten times. According to its species. Over and over, it is repeated in that parsha. Every animal, every plant. According to its own classification. That's the will of Hashem. That there should be clear demarcations in the Bria. Anyone who takes a little bit of time to study the world around him will be able to tell you that among the most notable and pervasive phenomena in creation is the segregation of the species. The Yad Hashem has put an instinct into every kind of living creature, whether it's insects or birds or mammals or reptiles or fish, that they feel an aloofness from other species. They detest one another. And not only will they not propagate from a different kind, but they won't even attempt to do so. 
they don't evince even an interest in the other kind. In general, a male of one species will ignore a female of another species, unless, of course, he considers her a candidate for breakfast. Not only will different species not mate with each other, but even two kinds of one species won't be interested in a shidduch. Here you have two kinds of ants. They won't propagate from each other. HaKadosh Baruch Hu put into their makeup certain instincts and certain chemical reactions that make them distasteful to each other. From their glands, they give forth certain chemicals, pheromones, that to their own kind smell sweet, but to another kind of an ant, they are foul and nauseating. It's a remarkable thing. The same chemical is attractive to its own kind, and it's repulsive to the other kind. Here you have two rat species. In one, the female has three teats, and in another, she has four teats, but they're both rats. And now there's a male Romeo rat of the three-teed variety, and he's cruising around in the sewer looking for romance, and he meets up with a female, only that she has four teats. It doesn't even enter his mind to look twice. He has such instincts implanted in him that he turns away in disgust. He is so constructed by the boide oilam that he has no interest at all. And it's that way all across creation, from the birds in the mountains to the lizards in the swamp. Wherever you look, you see no exception to this. Even fish. There are trillions of fish wandering in the depths of the dark sea. Some of them dwell near the bottom of the abyss, where it's always dark. And still, they never make any errors. They fertilize only the eggs of their own kind. Now, let us not be so blinded by habit that we overlook this miracle. If it was an accident that happened during the time of development, as the academicians claim, then an accident could happen maybe once. The truth is that it would be a strain on our credulity to believe that it happened even once. That requires so many adjustments in the nerves, in the secretions, and in the instincts that it's absolutely ludicrous to say it could happen by accident. To say that it happened in 10 cases by accident is more than ludicrous. It's insanity. And to say that it happened in every single species in the universe is just gibberish. It's plain foolishness for anybody to think that such a thing is not an open demonstration of design by the great designer. And so we see clearly that the general plan of Hashem in creation is the phenomenon of Havdalah, separation. He gives the different species an instinctive drive to keep separate. And we shouldn't disdain that plan of Hashem when we see how Hashem maintains the distinction between those whom he wishes to keep separate. We have to say, How deep are your plans, Hashem? But we'll take it a step further now. We'll see how deep this plan really is, because we see that this principle of separation applies to human beings too. It's an error to think that some people are black by accident. I'm not going to be prejudiced, but I'm not going to be a liberal either. We'll just look at it scientifically. Al piha emes. When people are made black, it's as clear as day that the purpose was to segregate the blacks, that they shouldn't marry with people of other races. This has nothing to do with one race being better than another. I'm not talking about that at all. But it's clear as day that our Kaddish Baruch Hu is favorable to Havdalah. He has demonstrated that clearly in his creations. Now, 
If you didn't know about HaKadosh Baruch Hu, then everything is an accident. But when we study the wonders whereby HaKadosh Baruch Hu separates all the species of nature, we can understand quite clearly that he is intending to separate the races of mankind. After the races of man were differentiated, blacks forever beget black progeny. The yellow races invariably have yellow offspring, and even the subdivisions such as Mongolians and Indians continue to maintain their particular characteristics forever. Liminehu, according to its kind. Hashem implanted it in nature. Once something is a separate classification, it's inherent in the Bria to remain aloof and to maintain the separation. And that means that the Havdallah Bein Yisrael La'amin the lesson of Am Lavadad Yishkon that Bilam taught us in this week's Parsha is part of the plan of creation and it is maintained forever by HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Now, once we have established HaKadosh Baruch Hu's desire for Havdalah wherever we look in the Bria, we can take it a step further and see that same hand of Hashem in history too. HaKadosh Baruch Hu has intervened throughout history to ensure that his people remain the Am Levadad, Yishkon, Uvagoyim, Lo Yishchashav. And we're obligated to study that. Not only in order to appreciate what HaKadosh Baruch Hu has done for his people in the past, but also because we get an insight into what he wants from us in the future. We'll start from the very beginning of our nation because Avraham Avinu was the father of our people. And in his life, we find a remarkable case of this system of Hashem. Everybody knows that Avraham Avinu was born in Ur Kastim. What happened? I took you out of Ur Kastim. Now for the time being, forget about any hidden meanings here. We're not talking about the furnace of fire into which she was cast. That's true as well. But we're talking now about Peshuto Shel Mikra. I took you out of Urkastim means, Avram, you should know what I did for you. I took you out of your neighborhood, away from the children with whom you played when you were a little boy. I separated you from the streets where you used to roam because I have big plans for you. When Avram left his hometown, that was one of the greatest events in the history of the world. Don't think it was an accident. A quirk of history? No. HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave him an order. Get going, Abraham. And Abraham was forced to leave. I took you out of Urkastim, Hashem said. He didn't wait for Abraham to run away. He put his plan into place and sent Abraham packing. It's too dangerous to leave something like that to chance. You want to produce an Abraham, a great man, who is going to be the father of the nation that dwells alone? then you must make sure that he should be levadad yishkon and quarantined against any wrong influence. Now, when Avraham came to Choron, he was a sojourner in a foreign land. He and his family were total strangers in Haran. It was a great accomplishment to be alone, and Avraham got busy. Et hanefesh asher asu bechoron. Avraham made great achievements at that time. Avraham migayer es... Hanoshim v'sorem egayeres as Hanoshim. The Rambam in Avodas Kochavim says that thousands of students gathered around Avraham Avinu, but it wasn't enough because here in Charon an encumbrance still remained: the environment of his immediate family. And so Hakadosh Baruch Hu told him to keep on going. Lech lecha, it's time to move on. 
And something remarkable happened now. You can call it a nace. It was a hidden nace, but it was the open hand of Hashem, and we should study it. What happened? When Hashem told Avram to go to forsake Haran and head to Eretz Canaan, his father didn't go along with him. Terach remained behind. Vayama Terach b'Haran. Years later, when he died, he was still in Haran. Now, that was a very queer thing. Actually, it should have been impossible because Abraham couldn't tell his father, stay here, don't go with me. After all, his father was the one who took everybody out of Urkastim in the first place. Vayikach Terach et Avram Beno. Terach was the initiator. And you have to remember that when they left Urkastim, Terach had already planned to go to Canaan. It says that openly. Vayetzula lechet arza Canaan. Terach had set out originally to go to Eretz Canaan. And so if Terach's plan had been to go to Eretz Canaan, only that he stopped off in Haran. So when HaKadosh Baruch Hu commanded Avraham to go to Canaan, why shouldn't Terach have continued as well? It was his original plan, after all. And you can be sure that Terach was a loyal disciple of his son. There's no question that if Avraham was Megayer Geirim, if he was teaching Elokus and belief in Hashem to others. So he taught his father as well. We should have asked this Kasha ourselves. Why didn't Terach come along with his son to the land of Canaan? How many sons like Abraham did Terach have anyhow? If a man has a great son, so surely he is proud of him. And when the son is commanded by a vision from Hashem to go to Eretz Canaan, so Terach should have said, my son, that was my first plan anyhow. I'm going with you. But no, he didn't go. It's a remarkable instance here. Terach and the family did not want to budge. Now, why Terach couldn't go, I wouldn't be able to tell you. Maybe HaKadosh Baruch gave him arthritis. Maybe he had good swimming pools and hot baths in Haran. I cannot tell you exactly why he didn't go. But he didn't go. And it was the Yad Hashem. A remarkable thing. And don't think I'm manufacturing ideas here. It's open pesukim. So we begin to see a plan here that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is peeling off others from Avraham in order to create the nation that dwells alone. Avraham could never fulfill his destiny if he had his father with him. Now that may seem hard-hearted to many people. After all, it's his father. But what won't Hashem do to create the perfect people? And if Avraham's family had come along with him from Karan to Eretz Canaan, he would never have been able to become the father of the Jewish nation. To be among others would have been an obstacle, a barrier too high to climb over. And Avraham would never have developed the perfection required to be the progenitor of the Am Hashem. We wouldn't even know about the name Avraham. I'm sure he would have remained great, but without isolation, he couldn't have created the isolated nation that his name would be a name that went lost forever in history. There was one of Abraham's family that did go along, and that was Lot. Lot was a loyal disciple, a loyal Talmud. Don't think Lot was a nobody. Lot learned well from his uncle Abraham. He learned very well. 
Where do you think Lot learned Mesiras Nefesh for Hachnasas Orchim? You remember when Lot was in Sodom and visitors came, and in Sodom it was forbidden to entertain visitors. But Lot was so loyal to Abraham's teachings that he went out into the street publicly and he welcomed the visitors in the street at a danger to his life. So you might say, such a talented. What's so bad if his nephew would come along? Would a loyal nephew impede Avraham from his career of Levadad Yishkon? And the answer is yes. Levadad means Levadad, alone. And so HaKadosh Baruch Hu used a strategy. He made Avraham and Lot become very wealthy. They had big herds of cattle and flocks of sheep. And soon Lot felt he was being crowded by Avraham. He wanted more space for his livestock to develop. And there began to develop some friction between the shepherds of Avraham and the shepherds of Lot. You must know that HaKadosh Baruch Hu was the one who was pulling the strings from behind the curtains. He's the one who put into the shepherds' heads to disobey Avraham's orders. Until finally, Avraham proposed, He pored na me'alai. Why don't we separate from each other? And now again, a naze happened. Lot knew who his uncle was. He was a loyal Talmud who recognized the greatness of his Rebbe. And so Lot should have said, Separate? Never! I will fire all of my shepherds and give up all of my livestock if they are going to be a cause for dissension. I don't want anything except to be with you. But that's not what he did. A miracle took place and Lot accepted the offer to separate. Now we take it as a matter of course. An uncle and his nephew had some dissension and they separated. They were partners in a business for many years and finally they broke up. It's quite natural. Oh no, it's not natural at all. It was very unnatural, very unusual for Lot to leave Avraham Avinu. So why did Lot agree to separate from his Rebbe? What caused him to accept the offer of Hiparedna Me'alai? It was the Yad Hashem. There was a plan here. HaKadosh Baruch Hu was building the future of the Am Yisrael, of the Hain Am Levadad Yishkon, a nation that must dwell alone. And Avraham could never become what he did had he been in close contact with Lot. In order to become great, to become the father of the Am Yisrael, Avraham had to fulfill Levadad Yishkon on the greatest level possible. Another interesting thing. I say interesting, but it's more than interesting. It's the hand of Hashem. What is it? Avraham had no daughters. Did you ever think about that? You think that was an accident? For Avraham, a daughter would be an encumbrance because he would have to take on a son-in-law. You can't take your own son and marry him to your daughter. Avraham would have to bring in somebody from the outside. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu didn't want anyone from the outside. Avraham's nation had to be rescued from any kind of outside influence. It's a remarkable thing to see that. To see how HaKadosh Baruch Hu's plan was Levadad. It's a very important point that shouldn't be overlooked. And that's the plan of Hashem forever. It's a plan that goes like a golden thread throughout our history. In order to preserve the integrity of Avraham's ideals, HaKadosh Baruch Hu created the system of Badad to be alone. When we start studying our history, we see that this principle is repeated again and again. Yishmael was sent away. The Bnei Hapilogshim were peeled off from our family too. 
Hashem also sent Esav away. And when we went down to Mitzrayim, Yosef was sent ahead to prepare for us so that we should be able to live separately from the Mitzrim. There was a constant supervision by HaKadosh Baruch Hu over our people. And this detail of Am Levadad was most important of all. And that's why when we came out from Egypt into the Midbar, HaKadosh Baruch Hu kept us isolated for 40 years in the wilderness. 40 years of no contact with any nation. This was Hashem's intention from the very beginning. Like it says, And I led you 40 years in the wilderness in order that you should know that I am Hashem, your God. Devarim. It was a 40-year koilel where they learned Torah and Das Hashem unencumbered by anything else. And that's one of the reasons it was the choicest of all the periods in our subsequent history. And that's what Bilam saw. It was the special plan of Hashem coming to fruition. And when he saw our people, he was so excited. He was jealous of us. Hein am levadad yishkon. It's the holy nation that dwells alone. That's Hashem's plan. And they're not counted among the nations. And our nation didn't have to hear Bilam's words to know that's how it was meant to be. They lived Am Levadad Yishkon. They breathed it. It was in their bones because they studied the ways of Hashem. And so all of these things became models for them, examples for how to live their national and private lives. And that's why afterwards, when they came into Eretz Kedan, no Jew ever moved out of the country. It's a remarkable thing. In the years from Yoshua, when they came into the land, down to the times of Chizkiah Melech, all of the Bnei Israel dwelt only in Eretz Yisroel. Nobody dwelt outside. And no Gentiles lived in Eretz Yisroel. When David HaMelech came, no Gentiles dwelt at all in Eretz Yisroel unless in the role of slaves. And slaves had to be circumcised. They had to eat kosher and keep Shabbos. And so everybody was a Shomer Torah in Eretz Yisroel. Listen to what I'm telling you. That's the truth. There was nobody in Eretz Yisroel except those who were loyal to the Torah. And that was the great fulfillment of what Bilam said. That we are a nation that dwells alone. Of course, once the Am Yisrael went into Gauls, so now something else was required. If we're scattered among the nations, so even more effort is needed to resist the influence of the nations around us. And so the architect of our nation's history invented a new contrivance to make sure we should remain alone and not be counted among the nations. What did he do? He brought Paul and he brought Muhammad. These two arose and they made on their own big, strong, beautiful fences to separate the Jewish nation from the rest of the world. As soon as Christianity began, we were singled out as the nation that was guilty of the death of their founder. And from then on, the nations put us into ghettos and made decrees against us. Generation after generation, our forefathers lived in their ghettos. They ventured out to do business with the Goyim. But when they came back, the ghetto gate was locked at night. And those locked gates were salvation for us. We were sheltered away from the Gentiles and we were able to become great. Muhammad too. When he came along and when Umar came after him, they made many decrees against the Jews. Umar was a great benefactor for us. He put us into ghettos all over the oriental lands of the Near East. Baruch Hashem. That was the plan of Hashem. 
Of course, we're not going to say Yashakoach to the Goyim for all their decrees against us. They did it not to help us. And in the next world, they're getting what they deserve. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the one who deserves that Yashar Kolak from us because it was his guiding hand pulling the strings from behind the curtain. And that brings us to the important subject of anti-Semitism. It's a big question that people ask me all the time. Why is there anti-Semitism? No matter what, it's always there. Sometimes it's more undercover. Sometimes it's less. But it's always bubbling under the surface. We have to know that there is a fundamental reason why it's happening. If you want a reason for anti-Semitism, don't listen to what the writers tell you. The truth is that it's part of the system of Hashem. The system that was set into place in the lifetime of Avraham Avinu. Like Terach getting arthritis and Lot running away. Like the fact that Avraham had no daughters. Hashem's guiding hand is a hand of Havdalah, of keeping his chosen nation separate. It's like the Gemara says in Kedushin, Im If you find that two families are constantly fighting with each other, you have to know that Shemet Pesul Yesh Mehem. Something is wrong with one of the families. Something is wrong with their lineage, their pedigree. And Akadosh Baruch doesn't want the good family to be adulterated by intermarriage with the inferior family. So what do we learn from this? That hatred is sent by HaKadosh Baruch Hu for a purpose. And the function is to cause a wall to be erected where there is danger of overstepping the boundary. So let's say tomorrow morning you're walking through the streets and you're in the best of moods. It's a spring day. You're happy. It's Friday too. So you have a big paycheck now in your back pocket or in your wallet. And you're thinking about how lucky you are that you live in America. We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal. The Constitution says so. Befeidish. Equal rights for everyone. And the Goyim? You think they're nice people. And it's true. The Gentiles can be very nice people. Everything is going well. And you have kind intentions to everyone. But Hashem has other plans. And so as you're walking down the street, a bum is sitting on the corner and he calls out, Jew boy! Or he throws a banana peel at you. Suddenly your daydream is not so sweet anymore. You have to stop and think about that. Don't stop there. He might throw a glass bottle at you if you wait there too long. But when you turn the corner after you walked a few blocks, you can stop and think. What's that for? What's the purpose of that? The purpose is to prevent you from falling in love with him. You might like him. He looks human. He looks like your own cousin, maybe. And therefore, our Kaddish Baruch Hu said, let him come and remind you about what I told by means of Bilam, that you are not one of the nations, that you are the nation that dwells in the solitude, and you are not counted among the nations. We don't mix with them. We have nothing to do with them. And their customs are not our customs. If they have televisions, we don't. If they go to dances, we don't. If they read filthy books and magazines, we don't. We have no connection with the Umas Ha'olam, and that's the first step of becoming great and achieving our greatest potential as Hashem's chosen people. 
Now suppose we don't listen. Suppose we hear the words of Bilam and we don't listen to them. Suppose we read the history of Avraham, but we don't see the Yad Hashem. Suppose we ignore the Yad Hashem of anti-Semitism and forget our function of Am Levadad Yishkon, and we mingle among the nations and learn from their ways. That's when the anti-Semitism bubbles over and the persecution begins. Whenever you're about to fall in love with the people of the land, you have to know something's going to happen. It won't be a banana peel. This time you're going to get a punch in the nose or a stone in the head. And the very least, they'll break your window. And that's because there's no such thing as a good goy and there's no such thing as a bad goy. It's a Kadosh Baruch Hu who is good or Khalila bad. And it depends on us. If we keep away from them, they'll all be good. It'll bubble under the surface as a wall to keep us separate. But it won't bubble over. But if we try to mingle with them, then the best ones will become murderers. Like they did in Germany. Germany was a decent country, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu could have made it remain that way forever. But the Jews didn't let it be. If you had been in Germany before Hitler, you would have seen that the Jews were headed pell-mell towards self-destruction. They were getting lost like nobody's business. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu started building the wall a little higher. He caused Hitler to organize a most effective system. Not the death camps, not the crematorium. It was a big card index, a huge department of the German state to ferret out Jews who had tried to assimilate into the Gentile world. Even if you were only part Jewish, you were discovered by this card index system that traced back your lineage generations back. You were listed. Who you are, your name and address, who your parents and grandparents on both sides were, and your wife's parents and grandparents, and any Jew who was named Hans, Hans is one of the attempts to hide among the Gentiles, received a new name now all on his papers. He was Israel Hans. Let's say your family name was Wertful. So Hans Wertful might pass as a good Gentile. But Israel Hans Wertful, that's already poor camouflage. Or a German Jewish woman who chose the name Gretel, a nice German name. But Hitler gave her a new name, Sarah Gretel. Oh, how uncomfortable that is. Wherever she went, she had to show an identity card. And so the police said, Sarah Gretel, what are you doing riding on the subway? Jews can't ride on the subway. Jews have to walk. Sarah Gretel, you're paying a telephone bill? Jews have no right to telephones. And so the Jews in Germany and in other countries should have seen that a wall is being erected. Why are they hating us? Why are they legislating in such ways that are unthinkable for a modern, democratic, enlightened nation? It made no sense at all. And so they should have started thinking. Maybe Hashem wants us to come back to the Torah principles of Uvagoyim lo yischoshav. That's what they should have thought. But they didn't. They didn't listen to the Rabbonim who tried to warn them because they were too in love with Germany. Ah, they loved Germany so much. I was in Germany in 1938. I had to go to Memel. And as I was on the train in Germany, I had to lift up a suitcase of mine, a valise onto the rack in the train. There was a well-dressed, tall, polite German, and he came over to me and offered to pick up my valise and put it on the rack for me. 
I was sold to the German nation. They were so nice, so clean. They smelled good and they shaved every day. They had spotless kitchens. You walked through a German town and the streets were clean. Everything was orderly. Everything was done precisely. Everything was punctual. It was no wonder that the German Jews fell in love with the Germans. That's why Hitler came, to teach us that we are not citizens of the world, that we are the one nation in the world. And as soon as we learn that great principle, the better off we'll be. Unfortunately, it's not being studied. The lesson is being confused by Holocaust specialists and Holocaust seminars and conventions and books on the Holocaust. And all of them are garbage. All of them are full of lies. They're covering up the truth. Because these people who are holding the Holocaust sessions are the very ones who could have caused the Holocaust. They're atheists to themselves. Here, imagine a round table discussion. A Holocaust session. In the YIVO, the Jewish Holocaust Institute. They're sitting without yarmulkes. A bunch of old bald heads. Most of them don't even eat kosher. And they're studying the causes of the Holocaust. Now what do you expect they'll come up with? So naturally, these people are blind and deaf and dumb. For them, only a Hitler could succeed. But we don't want to be deaf and dumb. Oh no, we want to learn the easier way. By studying what Bilam said about us. Hein am It's a nation that dwells apart. And we're not counted among the nations. Our entire success is the policy of aloofness. That has been the policy from the beginning. And it's going to continue until the end of time. When the time will come. Don't think it will be a union of all the nations. By no means. We won't accept any converts then. It will be a separate nation. We will be the aristocrats. You'll be called the priests of Hashem. The holy nation. And as much as they will desire, the nations of the world won't be able to join us then. And that means that from the beginning of our history down to its glorious culmination, the principle is always maintained. Behold, we are a nation that dwells alone. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Let's get practical. Making sense of anti-Semitism. This week I will set aside 30 seconds every day to think about this fundamental principle of a nation that dwells alone and think about one way that I can make it more of a practical ideal in my own life by separating from the Gentile culture that surrounds me. Also, from now on, whenever I hear about even the most subtle incident of anti-Semitism anywhere in the world, I will recognize it for what it is. The hand of Hashem reminding us about this importance of this great principle for our nation's survival and perfection.